2: Good evening, my friends, and welcome to a very special Thursday night edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast. I am your host, the self-proclaimed content machine, Liam Crowley, and I am joined by two amazing guests tonight. First, to my left, the man in charge, Wrestling Inc. founder and owner, Raj, Gary Raj. Great to be back on the mic with you tonight.
3: Absolutely. It's, uh yeah, we've done we've done this a couple times now. So, uh,
2: yeah, th- thanks for doing this. Yeah, we got a diverse amount of topics to cover tonight, not just a show, not just wrestling matches, but also some entertainment as well. And we also brought in another stacked guest to my left or to my right, excuse me, the former wrestling podcaster and maestro behind the music for some of Impact Wrestling's top talents, just like Diana Perrazzo and Steve Macklin. It's Mr. Matt Kuhn. Matt, great to meet you. How are you doing this evening? Um,
4: I'm good. Uh, I Thank you for inviting me on your show. And you're welcome for giving you the Matt Coon bump uh, by being on. I think it's just going to throw stuff through the roof. And I'm excited to talk about this wide variety of stuff we're going to talk about today.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of what we're going to talk about, we have top news from the world of pro wrestling. Of course, we have all that Shane McMahon drama. We have the Brian Kendrick situation. We have the fallout from MJF. CM Punk, as well as some ratings from Dynamite and Raw this week, but we're also going to step outside the squared circle on this special edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast, where we're going to chat some Peacemaker, John Cena's new solo series for the popular DC Comics character, and we'll also get into some football, some crazy championship games this past weekend leading into Super Bowl 56. I know we're all pretty big fans of the sport, and we're definitely going to have some things to say. Uh, But let's kick things off with some wrestling news. The biggest story that seems to just be snowballing every single day with new information, Shane McMahon quietly let go from WWE. Shane worked as the lead producer and writer for the Men's Royal Rumble this year, a role that he's had in past years as well. But this year specifically, he really took charge in that leading captain's chair and apparently he faced some backstage criticism for the booking of the match specifically and for, quote, trying to make it about himself. Uh, Shane apparently didn't keep up with WWE storylines leading into the pay-per-view itself, and it was noted that he didn't know what was happening on television. Shane also allegedly pulled the McMahon card with other producers backstage and wanted things done his way. Things reportedly got so bad that there were some heated arguments with people who felt like they could push back on Shane's behavior. The situation was described as chaotic by multiple sources and McMahon's actions reportedly caused a lot of stress backstage. All of Shane's Rumble interactions with Kevin Owens, Otis, Riddle were his doing. It's something that was specifically noted in reports. Shane, quote, disagreed with Vince's plans for him going into WrestleMania season at Elimination Chamber and whatever storylines were planned for him at the grandest stage of them all, which basically led to Vince saying he didn't want Shane involved in Mania season whatsoever. That is an absolute mouthful, guys, and I'm sure we're going to get more information as the days and weeks go on. Raj, I'll go to you first. What do you make of all of this crazy Shane McMahon drama?
3: Uh, I got to admit, I was surprised. Um, not so much uh, that he was a handful to work with, which, you know, that actually did surprise me because in the past you would hear people talking about how they enjoyed Shane. You know, they'd talk about different people. They didn't get along backstage, but Shane was uh, one of the ones that you would often hear was pretty cool. So uh, it it seemed very odd. And then even more odd that uh, Vince would let him go as opposed to just pulling him um, Just, you know, quietly saying you're off TV for a month or, you know, something along those lines as opposed to going out and firing him. And I think 20 years ago, I think a lot of people expected a Triple H Shane McMahon power struggle for the top. And boy, we're not
2: uh, we're way far away from that. Matt, with all this news coming out about Shane McMahon, were you looking forward to potentially seeing him involved at WrestleMania? And where do you think Shane goes from here in terms of his role with WWE?
4: I mean, not necessarily looking forward to it. I think we see Shane McMahon's involvement in WrestleMania since returning to face The Undertaker at Hell in a Cell as kind of a necessary evil. And, you know, I guess a net gain to the WrestleMania season. But I think it says more about the culture uh, politically at WWE than it says about Shane McMahon. Like Rod says, everybody likes Shane. Nobody says anything bad about Shane. Like nobody's saying he's this creative genius, but at the same time, he's been known to be easy to work with. He's been known to get along with everybody. So I think it has much more to do with the political climate. If you look, about, if you look back to when the two VPs were let go, to the slow but sure exodus of Triple H people, you know, Shane walked into a completely different company and- I think the company reacted differently than they normally would have. Not Shane. It's not like it doesn't make sense that Shane suddenly gets a big head. As far as what he does next, I mean, Shane's had his uh, his hands in a lot of different things, so there's no telling. I'd love to see him do a podcast. I don't see him doing any kind of tell-all stuff. But if, if I'm guessing, I mean, he disappeared for years and no one heard from him. I think he was doing some kind of farm situation for a while.
2: And I think he's probably just going to disappear again. That would be my best guess yeah, I'm seeing the social conversation right now on Twitter. Everyone's joking, of course, but they say Shane versus Nick Gage, Shane in the G one climax, Shane for Battle of Los Angeles, and it's absolutely hysterical. I don't see I don't think we ever see him showing up in another wrestling ring outside of WWE as we get a comment here uh, from Night one who says, makes you wonder what would have happened if Shane decided to stay home last week instead of being in the Rumble? It's a really great question, Raj. I almost want to pitch this one to you because we do know, I also heard reports that Seth Rollins was initially supposed to be in the Royal Rumble match, potentially to set up a Mania program with Shane. But when they decided they wanted him to sell the chair attack from Roman, that kind of shuffled things around. And then Shane still was in the match, but felt like he had less of a purpose being there. What do you think the Royal Rumble looks like this year, both from an in-ring standpoint and from a producing standpoint, if Shane's not involved?
3: You know, there's so much of it, it's hard to say how much is Shane's fault, um, and how much how much isn't? I mean, he he was one of the he was the main producer, so I guess you could put a lot of it on him. I think one of the things that hurt the Rumble was, A, with the Rumble you expect a lot of surprises and there really weren't any. Um, and then, you know, Brock coming in to win, it it was fine. They got their story going the way they wanted it to, but I mean, it just felt kind of lackluster. And um you know, I just think that there you know, going to that point where Shane not following up with storylines. Again, I don't know if this is Shane or On Creative, but there were some easy storylines in there, like with Dominic and Ray that had been teased for, for months and months and months that weren't even broached upon. So it just felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities with
4: the Rumble.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, you talk about storylines. Uh, uh, yeah, go I'm ahead. Sorry for interrupting.
4: I was just gonna say it, it really you know, doesn't behoove the W.E. to do everything at the last second. You know, all this planning at the last second. Raj, you run a business. I run a business. You can't just do the most important, the second most important night of your year just on the fly like that. And it seemed like not just Shane doing it, but the fact that that was accepted as normal. Like, it's not a big deal we do all these changes. Uh, The winner, who knows who the winner is? We'll find out later today. That's the issue. And I think putting this all on Shane is tough because i never heard shane being like that involved as a huge like a big name producer you know before i know that he's been involved but i think all of us were a little surprised when we heard shane did the royal rumble like i don't think anybody was like oh that makes sense he's the guy he's the
2: new pat patterson <laughs> it's a really good point it's a really good point and also to the fact that he wasn't really involved in any storylines before this as dark chasen sends in a comment. here comes the money had the balls to say hey this sucks too good too good as for uh other things that were going to happen with shane mcmahon the seth rollins feud was rumored but another one that was rumored as sergio brings up here the only feud that made sense for shane to have at mania was austin theory and i think the storyline was kind of perfectly there in terms of austin kind of being the one i gotta say austin theory because if i say austin and mcmahon in a sentence i'm immediately going to go to stone cold and vince but austin theory being the guy who was under vince's wing Shane comes back. Maybe there's a little bit of a, a power struggle there. And I don't, I don't know. The storyline seemed ripe rather than having Shane get inserted for no reason, as kind of it does seem to be the case with most Mania matches with part-timers, at least they come around and, oh, we'll put them in a match and somehow it'll make sense. Austin Theory was right there. Uh, Matt, I'll ask you, did you want to see a potential Austin Theory Shane McMahon, not just match, but feud in, as a whole?
4: You know, I don't think... Sh- Shane is a wrestler's on-air personality. I don't know if he really has it in him to have these really great feuds. He has these spectacular matches. So for me, I was in for Shane versus Omos. Like, that was it for me. (laughs) I would have loved to see that because it would have been just a car wreck. You know, Austin Theory appears to be the guy, at least they think he is, and I'm not arguing it. I'm not sure how well that would have done for, for Austin Theory because probably as soon as WrestleMania is over, Shane's gone. So unless Shane's putting him over in a huge way, I don't really see it being a plus for Austin Theory. I think Austin Theory probably has better options now without Shane.
2: A lot of people in the chat right now are saying Austin Theory would have been a good option and there would have been a good story there, but I do agree what happens after Mania, even if Theory does get the win over Shane, where does he go from there? Raj, I'll go to you. One last question before we move on to another story. Where do you see Shane uh, going forward from here? Do we ever see, I mean, I feel like we do see him back in WWE. It's probably an inevitability. So with that being said, how long do you think we have to wait um, for this kind of sour taste to wear off?
3: Jeez. Uh, what was it last time when he came back for the take her hell in the cell? That was like, it's
2: like six oh years. God. It was, yeah, yeah it was time. a while. The last program I remember before that was the one with legacy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I know, You know, people on social media like to speculate, but I don't see him uh, doing anything wrestling related uh, until he's back one day. I mean, he's made his money. He's good. Um, I'm sure it's a little embarrassing for him right now uh, because this is such a public story that's out there. But, uh, yeah, I think he lays low probably for years. And then we see him back, you know, maybe for the Hall of Fame, something like that uh, as a presenter. You know, he's what, 50 years old now?
2: He's up there,
3: like he's so, no stranger. So you know, three years if he
4: comes back. I can't see him doing a bunch of crazy bumps, but um, yeah, I don't see we'll him wrestling see. This anywhere, anywhere say never. I don't see him wrestling anywhere else unless uh, he's really mad. Like if he's really <laughs> upset, that's the only reason. So you'll know if you see him show up at GCW or or AEW, you know Shane is pissed. Like that's <laughs> otherwise he's fine. He's got his money. He's 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 got a pretty good life. I'm sure. Well, just like Raj said, probably Hall of Fame induction speech in like a few years.
2: That's yeah. a good point. Sergio, Sergio says in the chat right there, 52 years old for Shane. So as you mentioned, I don't know how many matches he has left in him. And if this is going to be a situation where he has to sit out for a little bit, he may be on borrowed time if he does want to get back inside the squared circle let's move on to another story now here though uh ratings we're talking ratings just about every single week it's always the talk of the town the demographics the viewership what have you raw this week putting in 1.8 million viewers up 5.6 percent from last week's go home show for the royal rumble obviously this raw was stacked with the fact that you had ronda rousey returning to television you had the brock lesnar backlash coming after royal rumble lot of big players happening on Raw. A .47 in the 18 to 49 demographic. Raj, I know you're kind of the ratings guru here for WrestlingInc.com. Can you make sense of these numbers for me? And is this good for Monday Night Raw as we really head into the fast lane towards WrestleMania?
3: Uh, well, the thing that really got me was how well the first hour did it did over 2 million viewers it you know raw hasn't done that since after SummerSlam, and how big it you know the big drop that it had from the first hour to the third hour and that third hour had ronda rousey and that was 21.6 percent. it was like the biggest drop in a year and a half from the first hour to the third so that drop was just enormous but the number itself the number of viewers was really good. The best since after SummerSlam, eighteen to forty nine demo. Uh, it was the best since football season. you kind of expect that with the Royal Rumble, uh, the post Royal Rumble show. But there were games. Uh, there were nights during football season that that beat this number. So I thought the eighteen to forty nine was kind of disappointing. Uh, year to year, the the audience was only down one point four percent. So again, I think that was good. But the eighteen to forty nine rating was down nineteen percent um so yeah they, they just for whatever you know the they couldn't hold on to those younger viewers throughout the show but outside of that overall when you look at the overall numbers it's definitely definitely a positive
2: yeah and matt as i pass it on to you for some viewership talk we got a comment here uh from mksppdo 64 sorry for for butchering that right there uh saying that he was disappointed in ratings for aew people just don't like good pro wrestling punk match was great and still aew can't get 1 million smh well the numbers he's talking about specifically is that aew dynamite this week pulled in 954,000 viewers down 13 percent from last week and a 0.35 in the key 18 to 49 demo also down 14.6 percent from last week's 0.41 whole lot of digits there for you matt Um, But these numbers for AEW Dynamite, are you disappointed, uh, like our commenter here, that Punk MJF wasn't able to pull seven figures? I'm a little surprised,
4: but there's a couple of things to think about when it goes with AEW. The year-to-year, the year-to-year comparison is the real deal, right? So if you compare them year-to-year, they're doing good. They're growing in a slow and steady way. And as we know, if you grow slow, it makes it more consistent and it makes it more permanent. Um, as far as the ratings for Raw goes, I think there's a relationship. I think there's a certain amount of people that only watch so much wrestling in the course of a week. And I think the bump in Raw might attribute for the little tiny drop in AEW. You know, uh, we talk about these um, demos and I think people get a little, you know, tribalist about demos and ratings. And I think what people need to remember is that demos have everything to do with uh financial viability. It has to do with whether this show is profitable or not, while overall viewership has to do with popularity and trends in popularity. So I think, you know, people do get excited about WrestleMania, um, and I don't think AEW's got anything to worry about, although it is a little bit of a surprise. I think, you know, it's a strange thing. It's, it appears that people just want good matches over good angles in AEW sometimes. It's, it's a strange thing to me, because I come from an era where I'd rather see a good angle and crappy match then uh, no angle in a great match.
2: Very interesting. Raj, uh, for the AEW numbers, is this good for AEW as we get closer to Revolution, their first pay-per-view of 2022? <laughs> so uh, a few things on that. Um,
3: I mean, their number, this was the lowest number they did since December 15th, uh, the lowest 1849 rating. On another week, it's probably not that big of a deal. Uh, but having a match that's been built for months and months with CM Punk versus MJF, I mean, it has to be a disappointment. And with that being almost, you know, the majority of that second hour. So, you know, again, putting a a match like that and for them to do a lower number than they had been doing it's I I was surprised. I thought they were going to do one of their uh, best numbers on TBS so far Uh, to Matt's point year to year, they were up, 13% total viewers and 9.4% in 1849. But also last year they were against NXT and that was in, I believe it was April, the first week in April when they stopped opposing when NXT moved to Tuesdays. And then you saw a big jump in AEW, AEW numbers. So that year to year gap, we're going to see that close. Once April, April comes along, unless, you know, we see, uh, like real growth over, you know, in that period. But, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see uh, what next week does. They got a world title match. But to me, that world title match isn't as intriguing as CM Punk versus MJF was. No, I mean, Ron, and it's also- do you
4: think – I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. I'm, yeah, I haven't podcasted for okay, a good. very <laughs> long time. But do you think it's a possibility that the angle itself with Punk and MJF was a little wanting – and maybe even a little redundant from the hangman uh, angle with the dark order, right. Where he's got this match, he's going through guys one by one, you know, uh, they meet in the ring. And then also we've seen it before. Like you throw two guys, good guys in the mic on the mic together in the ring. We've seen it. It wasn't maybe as compelling as people wanted it to be, even though the matchup's great on paper, it's great, but, maybe we needed a little better constructed angle to get people really excited about MJF and punk. Cause I didn't hear a lot of people were like, Hey, MJF and punk is tonight, but I didn't hear a lot of people super excited about, Oh, it's finally paying off this big hot feud.
3: Yeah. And you're, you're kind of getting that feeling with MJF and Wardlow, but I, I, I see your point. You, You don't really get that feeling. You never really got that feeling with punk and MJF. It was more that you're entertained by their segments as opposed to left wanting more. It was more like, Oh, they took this dig at WWE or made this crack about the Miz. I I think one of the things that kind of, I've said this before, AEW fans just will jump on me forever, but I do think with the four pay-per-views a month, I don't think they should have 12 by any means, but with four, sometimes it's a long time between the pay-per-views. And I originally thought that the battle of the belts would kind of be a buffer. It'd be like a clash of champions where it's basically like a a free pay-per-view that ended up not really being the case. So that's a long time to, and granted, I know this wasn't a pay-per-view, but going from November to February is a long time to be building one match. Now, do you guys do you guys think this feud
2: you know, uh, goes on its separate ways for a little while, or do you think they have a rematch? That's the thing. I feel like they have to clash again when we're so close to the pay-per-view. Me and some of my friends were talking about this uh, with – Having these big matches on television is fantastic, right? Especially when it's immediately following a pay-per-view. But when we're only three, four weeks out from the next pay-per-view, that being Revolution, how are you going to get a different feud for both Punk and MJF, two of AEW's marquee stars, both guys they're going to want on a pay-per-view card? How do you get a feud for both of them rushed in the next three to four weeks? I feel like it's a rematch is built in for pay-per-view. I,
4: you're, I you're Right. There's no way they end this thing with, you know, with Punk losing one, two, three after, you know, a screw job. There, There's no way that happens. And if there's only thing we know about Tony Khan is that he learns, you know, he learns and he gets better at stuff. And so that's why we've seen so many false starts with these wrestlers in AEW is that he says, oh, nope, that's not working. Let's do this instead. And I have a feeling there'll be some. Corrections and some looking at the numbers and some uh, fixing of the angle, maybe a little bit and change a little bit. Tony Khan's second try on something is usually pretty good, so I think we're going to see this all the way to Revolution, of course, leading to the inevitable Wardlow turn. Uh, the the Virgil like, you know, it's taking him that long. The Virgil like turn of Wardlow on MJF. <laughs> I
3: will say this. There was one thing that I, because it, it does look like they're going with Adam Cole versus uh, hangman page for revolution. You talk about the mistakes, Matt. I know it doesn't count on his record, but once he lost to orange Cassidy in that lights out match, I know it's unsanctioned. doesn't count. It just made me less excited uh, to see that title match yet. I'm sure down the road I'll be buying it more, but to see him, get beat you know a month a month and change before a world title match so i'd almost rather have mjf versus hangman page you do punk versus wardlow and then uh you know because you know wardlow cost punk that match and and then you get to you know mjf and wardlow after that possibly for the next
2: pay-per-view yeah, I dig those possibilities. As we get a massive super chat from Brandon Hall, twenty dollars. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, first, first from Mike D, <laughs> though, uh, who says Doink the Clown, Matt Born, twenty twenty two Hall of Fame. Is this something that's that's been in the cards? I haven't seen uh, any rumors of it.
3: I've never heard his name mentioned, but I feel like it, if it's Doink, it has to be Matt Bourne. But mm-hmm. he wasn't really with the company that long. <laughs> he was. I don't even think he was there for a year as Doink, and then they switched it to you know other other guys, and even Steve Lombardi for a while. So, you know, it's like if, if you're doing a character, I, I just
2: don't think Doink. I, I would not be picking that. Mm-hmm. But the the super chat I'm alluding to there, as we were talking about uh, Punk MJF. Thank you so much, by the way, Brandon Hall for a twenty dollar super chat, largest one I've seen since I've been on one of these podcasts. He says I think the CM Punk versus MJF feud is more about Wardlow and MJF then Punk I have no issue with the numbers as long as the Wardlow payoff is on pay-per-view. Matt, I'll go to you for this one. Is this uh something you want to see as soon as Revolution? It feels like, you know, we're getting close to the straw that breaks the camel's back in the sense that this has been tension that's been building so subtly, so snowbally for months. Are we getting to that point where Wardlow will turn on MJF on pay-per-view and that pay-per-view is as soon as Revolution?
4: It's time to do it if they keep doing things the way they are. Like, MJF could pick it up a little bit and start slapping Wardlow, you know, and start being really terrible to him. And then we could see this thing play out to the summer. But I think, you know, Wardlow's not the world's best actor. You know, Wardlow's not the best. doesn't have the greatest facial expressions. He's very impressive. But I think it's time to do this because I think we're kind of stretching uh, the ability of what he can do sometimes as far as, acting in the ring he's not the most experienced guy uh he's got a huge upside and the place is gonna he's gonna get such a great bump as a baby face when he turns on mjf especially if he costs a match against punk i'm not sure if i agree with i agree with what uh brandon hall's saying but i'm not sure if i agree with that philosophy i'm not sure if punk should at this point is being brought back just to be used as a way to facilitate
2: a Wardlow turn although it does make sense to me that's what they're doing I do think that the, the feud definitely started as a punk MJF centric, but it's kind of naturally organically grown into a way to get a younger star over. And MJF is that younger star, but he's obviously had the company backing for two plus years. Wardlow someone who's kind of been in the shadows for a little bit. And the fact that now he's getting more and more spotlight, obviously getting a lot of squash matches on TV, which is only just heightening his character uh, to fans and whatnot. Raj, real quick before we move on. Uh, for this question, an MGF-Wardlow feud, we feel like it's coming. It feels like it's inevitable. Is this something you see happening Happening at Double or Nothing, a match between the two?
3: Absolutely. I think if you go beyond that, its it already feels too long in a lot of ways. So uh, three weeks is too short for a revolution, but this should definitely be a pay-per-view match. So absolutely, I think thats that makes all the sense in the world.
2: And I'll double down real quick. One quick follow-up question. Do you see Wardlow turning on MJF at Revolution, but then you run into that issue of maybe two and a half months building to their singles match? I I,
3: I could definitely see that. And, and you know, again, when, when I said I think it might be too long between four pay-per-views, I'm not saying do 12. I'm thinking more like six. So you only have two months between pay-per-views. It's not as long. Um, so, but... I, I, I could definitely see it. at. Ha- he, he, oh, sorry, <laughs> I see the split happening at
2: Revolution. Sorry, one second. <clears throat> For sure, no worries. Matt, uh, real quick before we move on to the other story, I do want to get your kind of thoughts on the whole Wardlow, MJF situation. Um, double or nothing, is that the place to do it?
4: Yeah, I mean, double or nothing is kind of really hard to say because they have four. But mm-hmm. really, it's either double or nothing or all out is a WrestleMania. A lot of people within the company, I think, of double or nothing as as the big one and you know if you have a three-month wait in between uh pay-per-views maybe they have a big moment where Wardlow costs him the match inadvertently and it's kind of like a, is he or isn't he with him kind of thing this uh ambiguous thing they can carry on for a month or so then a turn in the middle of those three months and then you know fiery uh fiery angle up until double or nothing I think that would work but the turn in three months you know AEW's done a lot of things great, and I'm a big fan, but long term storytelling has not always been uh, a great thing for them. Uh, if you look at Jericho, MJF, um, and a few other uh, things they've done.
2: For sure. It's something that we're going to have to look out for on Dynamite in the coming weeks. And speaking of Dynamite, we talked about the viewership, we talked about the main event. There was a significant change that happened with that show just hours before. If I'm correct in my timestamps, I believe it happened 90 minutes before the show went on the air. That's the fact that Brian Kendrick, who was recently released from WWE, he was serving more of a produce as more of a producer um, in developmental for both 205 Live and NXT. He requested his release as soon as a couple weeks ago. He was granted it yesterday, time of this airing, and then he was already announced for a match on AEW. He was supposed to go one-on-one with John Moxley in his first match for All Elite Wrestling. But unfortunately, some past comments resurfaced. Uh, these were comments also that was pointed out on social media. They're nothing new. They've been associated with Brian uh, Kendrick specifically. We won't name what was said, uh, but they were anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that he was sharing. Uh, he did apologize after his match was pulled. He was replaced by Wheeler Yuta. Tony Khan announced it on social media. Kendrick wrote on Twitter, I apologize for all the hurt and embarrassment I have caused with my words. These are not my beliefs, and never were beliefs of mine. And I crossed the line. I spread the most vile comments without thinking of the damage it would cause. I will live this with. I will live with this regret for the rest of my life. I am truly sorry for the pain I have caused. Raj, first off, this is a story that we talked about the Shane McMahon one snowballing over the course of a couple of days. In a matter of hours, this story just got flipped on its head with Brian Kendrick released and making his AEW debut essentially same day. No 90-day no compete clause. To all of a sudden it becoming a matter of controversy. My question to you, uh, Raj, to start things out: What do you make of all this? I, I
3: mean, the, the, the it was. I mean, <laughs> it's bizarre. I, 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 it's you know, first of all, I to to make those comments in the first place is just. Uh, I, I do believe he needs to explain that more. If he says those are not mo- my beliefs, then. Why did you say it a few times? I, I do believe you have to explain it more. The timing is weird. Um, you know, uh, that these resurfaced the, the day of his AEW debut. I don't think, I know some people, there's conspiracy theories that WWE put it out. I don't think they would just because he just left that company. It makes WWE look bad that they had someone, you know, under contract who who would say, who would make those types of comments. But um look, you you say something that bad and that stupid, you got to pay the price, you know?
2: Matt, uh, as for you, Brian Kendrick's pro wrestling future, is this uh, someone who's going to have to lay low for a couple months or maybe even a couple years?
4: You know, the, the apology was good. It was a good apology, but it bears a lot of explanation, as Raj said. I, from what I'm gathering, I think he's saying he said it in gimmick. Like, that's... The only possible explanation I'm getting is that he's playing a gimmick of a conspirators. But guys, you got to draw the line. Like you can't be, you can't be Holocaust denying. You can't be, you can't be doing that stuff. That is the line where there's like a point of no return. Because no matter what he does, no matter what he says, there's a segment of the population that will never forgive him, and rightfully so. And we'll be very vocal about that. And as far as WWE uh, leaking it or pushing it, you know, Bix uh, David Bixenspan, um, is kind of the guy who got a hold of this and kind of made it a bigger thing than it was. And I'm going to go ahead and guarantee uh, that there's no way that WWE has a pipeline to David Span. <laughs> right.
2: I mean, that's safe to say. <laughs> very fair. As for Brian Kendrick's involvement in AEW, one thing I found uh, particularly interesting about his scheduled match before it was canceled was he was going to go one on one with John Moxley, and we know who John Moxley is currently feuding with right now, uh, or possibly aligning with Brian Danielson. We know the history between Brian Kendrick and Brian Danielson uh, specifically. I remember during the Cruiserweight Classic during 2016, uh, when Danielson was a commentator there, and Kendrick had made his return to the company. Danielson was very vocal about he was rooting for Kendrick. That's one of his friends, um, and I believe they even shared uh, a tearful embrace um, when Kendrick was eventually eliminated from that tournament. Raj, uh, do you think that Kendrick was going to factor into this Danielson Moxley storyline or was this going to be just a one off match? Uh,
3: I'm sure it would have been mentioned, but it's you know, it's not like he he was a a big star coming in, you know, that that. So I I don't think so. I think most of I think most of the angle played out like it was supposed to with uh, Danielson and Moxley.
2: Mm -hmm. and matt uh before we move on from this how do you feel about that danielson moxley feud right now or maybe a a a teasing partnership between the two I, i love it i think it took a lot of us by surprise and as soon as
4: danielson said it you know matthew my son he's a very um uh very uh knowledgeable pro wrestling fan he's 19 he wants to be a wrestler but both of us look at each other and go that's cool you know we're in on that and to raj's point I don't think they planned that promo after Brian Kendrick was taken off the show. So, Brian Kendrick doesn't really fit in to that. I think they were going to, uh, Daniel Bryan is probably going to make the save or something, and then they're going to have the exact same thing. They probably would have mentioned it, but I'm not sure. I think Brian Kendrick was probably bro- going to be brought on as a coach and a part time talent. And, um, you know, uh, and also just this convenient connection that he trained uh, under
2: um, HBK with uh, Daniel Bryan. Very true. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with Brian Kendrick, Brian Kendrick, excuse me, uh, his wrestling future. Uh, we don't know what, what's going to happen, but he's likely going to be laying low for the next couple weeks, next couple of months, uh, what have you. Let's move on to some stuff outside of the squared circle. As I teased off the top, we're going to talk a little Peacemaker here on this Wrestling Inc. podcast starring none other than john cena raj i feel like you you got someone else to say real quick though
3: yeah i would say well what if we do uh let's do the nfl first and then peacemaker because we are going to discuss the first three episodes of peacemaker and then when the season's over we'll do another episode looking at the whole season but there will be spoilers so if you haven't checked it out uh you know you could you could log off at that point
2: and check it out <laughs> yeah for sure well hey we'll we'll let you know right now spoiler warning for peacemaker later on in the podcast but we'll talk some nfl right now and i guess spoiler warning for the nfl as well the super bowl has been set if you didn't catch the afc and nfc championships this past weekend joe burrow and the bengals upset the kansas city chiefs in kansas city down to the wire in overtime thriller over there and then on the nfc side of things the Rams beat the 49ers getting back in the Super Bowl their second time in the past four years. But their team looked a lot different when they when they faced the New England Patriots a couple of years ago. They got a new quarterback. They got a brand new defense, essentially. Odell Beckham Jr. is basically their top receiver, uh, aside from Cooper Cup. What am I saying? He's, he's a distant number two uh, to Cooper Cup, the fantasy machine. Uh, Raj, I'll go to you first. I know you're a big football fan. Unfortunately, your Denver Broncos and my New England Patriots are not competing in the big game this year. But it's been nothing but big games this entire NFL playoffs. What did you make of Championship Sunday? Uh, it was a, that
3: was one of the most exciting football days, uh, in, in that I can recall. I mean, there have just was it the weekend before that had all the blowouts, or the
2: weekend before that that was mostly blowouts. Um, it's a distant memory because the weekend before was all one score games. Every game was decided by a field goal, except for the one that was a walk off touchdown.
3: Yeah, yeah. So it was it was amazing. I thought the Chiefs had it in the bag. I thought, uh, man, they choked. They choked. Big time. Uh, That was that was almost brutal to watch, and I'm not a fan of the Chiefs, but uh, yeah, that was something. And then the Bengals, you know, they kind of remind me of the Broncos back in 2006 when most people weren't expecting them to go to Super Bowl, and they kept winning those games and ended up winning the Super Bowl. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, congrats to the Bengals. It's a really cool story, and it's one that's easy to get behind.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The Bengals have. America's heart right now a lot of people are calling Joe Burrow America's quarterback Matt what do you make of the AFC and NFC championships uh this past weekend did you tune in I
4: I think yes and I think it was and I've been in this for a few decades now I think that was the best combined NFC and AFC championship games I've ever seen in a single day um it it's interesting with sports you know when you live long enough you just see it coming you know as far as momentum momentum's everything and as soon as the Chiefs started playing like they were scared, and they were up by a bunch, but you could tell, like everything was just shifting, and you could tell the ball's a little harder to hold on to. You're pressing a little bit more. You're making mistakes you normally wouldn't make. And it was the same when Brady made his uh, uh when when Brady almost <laughs> brought the uh, Patriots to a victory. You could see the momentum and the losing team being scared to death, and that was so fun to see the Rams game. Uh, being a, a Southern Californian who used to work at Anaheim Stadium myself, always uh, fun to see the Rams. Now, if the Rams win, they'll be a home team at the Super Bowl. Is that correct?
2: They are the home team at the Super Bowl this year.
4: Yeah, because it's in L.A., right, at the brand-new cool. stadium. That yep. is a unique opportunity, you know, and that's something I would like to see personally. Is this that that
3: the one? first time that's happened? I know it happened with the Buccaneers, but that was not a full stadium. Mm-hmm. This, one, You know, that was – a the first year of the pandemic uh, it, it, would this be the first time with a that a team would have a home field advantage in the Super Bowl uh, with a full crowd
2: i do believe so the closest it happened before this was the minnesota vikings when there was the whole minneapolis miracle when stephon diggs had the walk off touchdown they got to the right. nfc championship right. the super bowl was going to be in minnesota all they had to do was win that game um but they came up short i believe it was against the eagles if I'm not mistaken, I think that was the year the Eagles went all the way and beat the Pats. But, yeah, this is something unheard of. Like you mentioned, Tampa was able to win it in their home stadium last year, but very limited capacity. Uh, tickets weren't even just offered to Tampa residents. I think they were kind of sporadically uh, offered across the United States to try and get as much people from across the country and as possible. And everyone was in in pods and whatnot. Uh, my most memorable thing from that Super Bowl was the weekend's halftime show. Raj, I know we're both big weekend fans, <laughs> and I thought he'd the house down. Uh, this this year's Super Bowl halftime show is looking absolutely stacked as well. Are you guys looking forward to it?
4: Well, a- as a musician, music's my thing. I literally, that's why I'm kind of a mess today. I taught uh, nine straight hours of lessons right before I logged on, and music's <laughs> my thing. As We can be disappointed as musicians that Metallica, once again, did not get picked to play the Super Bowl because that would be fire, but you cannot complain when you have the words Dre and Snoop in the same sentence. So I'm in, I'm in hundred percent. Go ahead. It's an LA man. They're going to, they're going to throw down some old NWA. I'm sure. So it's going to be uh fantastic. I'm looking forward to it very much. Dre, Snoop, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar,
3: Eminem. Uh, I don't know if you, if people listening have not seen that full trailer yet, go on YouTube and look at that trailer. Even my daughters who, you know, they haven't been able to listen much of that because they're uh eleven and twelve, but uh
2: yeah, even they were so pumped. So it's it I'm 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 really pumped for this one. And one more thing uh regarding the championship games. We got a super chat here from stellar Justin Lopez, who says the momentum shifted at the end of the second half when the Bengals had the goal line stand, it changed the whole game. I absolutely agree. The Chiefs going for the touchdown there, leaving points on the board, not electing to kick a field goal. The fact that they were able to stop them there. And I believe it was Eli Apple who got the tackle on uh, uh, Cheetah, Cheetah on social media. Tyree Kill. And he was talking trash uh, to, to Tyree Hill, one of the fastest receivers of all time. He absolutely stomped on the Bills the previous week. Uh, but I agree, that momentum shift, uh, Matt, you talk about football a game of momentum. It was all right there. We got another comment here from Anthony Y, who says uh, that was BS. Uh, Chiefs should have went for the field goal before the half and played the better second half. If so, the Chiefs would have won. And he also says, still say the week before with Chiefs versus Bills was the best of all time. I personally agree. That was an incredible game. What, four lead changes in the last two minutes? Yeah, it was insane.
3: But as far as what, what, what Matt said earlier, as far as the combined AFC, NFC, you know,
2: championship games go uh this was the best that i've seen Mm -hmm. and one more thing we'll talk about in the world of football before we move into peacemaker of course spoiler warning for that we're gonna be talking in depth on the first three episodes so even if you're not fully caught up and you've seen the first three we'll be able to chat tom brady He's hanging it up. I got my jersey right back there. I'm a New England guy, Boston born and raised. This has been the guy who's been under center for my New England Patriots for every single year I've been born. And then the two years he left, he was still in the league. And now I live in a world where Tom Brady is no longer going to actively be playing football. I shed a tear. I'm not afraid to admit it. I sat in my car listening to music for like two hours straight before I realized the sun had set and Tom Brady was actually retiring. The rumors were true. It broke my heart, but 22 seasons, 15 Pro Bowl selections, seven Super Bowls, three MVPs, and countless other achievements that just make our minds melt. Raj, uh, Tom Brady, I know you're a Broncos fan, so you got one up on us in some championship games in the past, but I think you can even say, what a career.
3: Yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, I haven't watched, you know, I, I've really been watching football a lot probably the last 12 years. And then before that, I didn't really watch it that much. Uh, But as long as I've been watching, really, it was just Manning and Brady, you know, kind of kind of back and forth, depending on the year at first. And then Brady just took over. And uh, it it was frustrating to watch when he was uh, in the AFC, uh, you know, uh, against the Broncos and and going to those games. But even I've got to admit, he's the greatest of all time that I've seen.
2: Matt, how about yeah. you? I saw I saw you making some faces when I said no, that. He, <laughs> he's you know, been I'm not one of these. Well, well I was, are
4: you, are you, how old are you? I'm 21. Wow, that's amazing. That must be such a big thing for you. Like, I'm not invested on the Tom Brady thing one way or the other. I'm not like a hater and I'm not like a big fan. But objectively, you know, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Because in football, uh, much like NBA basketball, uh, the, the star player, which is usually quarterback, is measured by championships, period. Like, you know, Elway, you know, uh, Marino, you know, those, those things are used for or against those guys. And when you look at the winning team, they put together Brady, you know, here's an example in that game, his last game in the NFL, when they had the ball and they were behind, everybody's like, Oh crap, it's over. Brady's going to win. Like everybody, I know you probably had a little skip in your step. Like, here we go, because he's such a winner, you know, like a magic Johnson or a, or a Michael Jordan, he's such a winner. You're just like, Well, this is what's gonna happen. And it was shocking that he did not come from behind, you know, which which is an amazing thing to say about him.
2: Yeah, especially because they had you talk about momentum in football, the Bucks had all the momentum in the world in that second half, and they just couldn't capitalize when the moments were right. But yeah, I tip my cap, Tom Brady. Uh he's responsible for many of the happiest days of my childhood, and it's gonna be really weird to not see him under center. But fortunately, the the hard breakup was two years ago when he left the pats that was a lot more difficult him now retiring still hurts but you know the the most of the tears are in the past guys i think we talked some peacemaker now i think we get into john cena's solo series for his popular suicide squad character spoiler warning here on the wrestling Inc. podcast we're talking in depth on episodes one through three all three episodes that we're going to be chatting were the ones that dropped when the, the show premiered as a whole uh they did a three episode drop on HBO Max and have been releasing weekly episodes since. But we're here to kind of give our initial thoughts on how the series started. Uh, Raj, I've seen you uh, kind of talking big praise uh, for the show on social media. I want to know, though, is this a show that you tuned into just for John Cena, or was there something else about the plot that got you interested?
3: Uh, you know, it was. I, I tuned into The Suicide Squad, the new Suicide Squad, just for John Cena, and I love that movie. So when the Peacemaker was coming out, when Peacemaker was coming out, uh, th- that got me in. But so John Cena got me into the series indirectly through the movie. But yeah, definitely it was Cena. Uh, I thought he was great in Suicide Squad. I thought, he, I mean, he's way better in this because he he just has so much more uh, screen time, more more dialogue, more lines, and he he just kills it. They're, he's usually with wrestlers in in acting roles. There are there are moments where you could see a little awkwardness. There you could tell you know, they're not fully
2: trained in, you know, to be a thespian, but Cena, he's just a natural out there. And one thing about Cena, it's not just uh, him as the actor, but it's the actor director combo. James Gunn is someone, this is not the first time he's brought the best out of a former pro wrestler. James Gunn was the one who directed Dave Bautista in 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy. That was the movie that really broke out Dave Bautista in Hollywood, legitimized him as a legitimate A-lister, getting movies, getting roles in movies, excuse me, like Spectre, a James Bond movie, Blade Runner 2049. And most recently in Dune, he's getting uh accolades, he's getting awards buzz. That's unheard of with a pro wrestler turned actor, even for someone like The Rock, who is often known as kind of the popcorn actor, the guy who he's got all the charisma, but maybe he doesn't have the emotional depth. James Gunn is getting that emotional depth out of John Cena with this series. Matt, I'll go to you now. Are you interested in Peacemaker? I know you said you're one episode away from being caught up. Of course, with just the first three episodes, though, was that enough to make this kind of appointment television for you?
4: 100%. And I haven't seen uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, I like comic movies. I love the MCU. But they catch you up so quickly. I'm like, let's give this a chance. And I was blown away. First of all, John Cena is without a doubt the greatest wrestling actor in the history ever. Like people talk about Piper. Piper did good in, in uh, They Live, right? And, you know, I think that's the list. And The Rock has been successful. The Rock makes money. So you can't ever dispute someone who draws at the box office. But Cena has these moments in this show where it's just him and someone else. And they're going back and forth rapid fire. And he is so good in every situation. He's, he's at that point that not only are you drawn into the show, you literally turn to the person next to you or say to yourself, you're like, man, he's really good. (laughs) He's Cena is really, really good. And to James Gunn, you know, James Gunn's a great director. He doesn't bat a thousand, but no one does. But he also picked Chris Pratt from Parks and Rec to be Star-Lord. He saw that. You know, a few of us did. I know I did and my friend Corey did. We're like, Chris Pratt is the guy. But man, for him to pull... Chris Pratt out of Parks and Rec and say, this is the guy, and it turned a home run. You know, James Gunn is great. Peacemaker uh, is great. Also, I don't know the character's name, but the woman who played Tasty on Orange the New Black, uh, the African-American woman on um, Peacemaker, she is fantastic. She is so good. And no spoilers for 4, 5, and 6, or 4 and 5, but she just gets better and better and more crucial and more crucial. The cast is great. The show, it's Man, it might be the best comic book movie, uh, show I've ever seen. It's really good.
2: That's high praise. That's very high praise. Raj, uh, Cena's comedic chops in in this show, uh, something that I know he was kind of racked on uh, during WWE, uh, his tenure there. I mean, his tenure, he's obviously going to be back. But specifically in, in the early 2010s, people would kind of tease him for doing all like the children's humor jokes. Now we have just fully R-rated, unleashed Cena dancing around in his tidy whities making the crudest jokes of all time, is this something that kind of took you by surprise for someone like a PG Cena, or do you think it's all kind of natural? not I,
3: I would say no, just because I saw Blockers and I love Blockers. Me and my wife, we watched that a ton of times. I mean, he and he was just—I thought he stole the movie. Uh, he was just hilarious in that, and that was very R-rated. And uh, my, my sister, I mean, my sister, my daughters—they, um, they watch, I watched. I want to say it's called Playing with Fire. Uh, Mm -hmm. that John Cena was in, and they loved that movie. So I saw that range. Like, he could do a family movie, he could do an adult movie. Uh, This is different, and, uh, you know, because of his size, you know, I I know James Gunn basically wrote this series for Cena. He he wrote the entire first season in eight weeks, uh, just out of boredom, I guess, during COVID. So, uh, with Cena in mind as the starring vehicle, vehicle for Cena, and Cena just nailed that out of the
2: out of the park and too, it's it's winning in terms of uh getting popularity it's the number one show in streaming right now it recently passed boba fett even though i'm pretty sure this week's episode of boba fett might give it the title once again uh matt i'll go back to you because you mentioned that this is uh that cena to you is the greatest wrestler turned actor so far that we've seen would you say that peacemaker is your favorite john cena role Oh, for sure. And I loved Blockers, too. I saw the movie theater.
4: I thought it was uh, a really good role and a good chance for him to get ready for this. Um, One thing about Cena is that Cena was the number one guy in a company during a steadily declining period, right? So it wasn't like he was this guy who moved the needle. He just kept the needle from falling further, right? If he would have had writing like this... We're seeing a potential in John Cena as a personality, as a as a character, that we would have that we never saw in WWE. Like we like, like you said, we rolled our eyes at some of that stupid stuff he was given, some of the stupid stuff he said, and admired his conviction in going through with it. But imagine if John Cena had some good writing when he was John Cena, man, it might have been a whole different uh thing for WWE.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you. We're even kind of seeing it now whenever he returns to the company and it feels like some of his promos are a little bit more unscripted. He's kind of intertwining some of his own personality into the dialogue he gives inside the squared circle. So I I do think you're right. If he had more creative freedom or they gave him better stuff to work with in the early 2010s, we could have seen a very different WWE. Stellar Justin Lopez, another comment. Thank you so much. He says, only James Gunn could make a show about a butterfly alien invasion. Interesting. This show has the vibes of Gunn's first film, Slither. I'm right there with you, Justin. I also get a lot of Slither vibes from this. And I do want to ask you guys, before we wrap up this podcast as a whole, not only is Cena super entertaining in this show, and that's obviously kind of the reason that we were most interested in the character at the start, we do have a pretty intriguing plot going on. So obviously without talking about where the plot is now, because we're only doing the first three episodes here, Raj, I'll go to you first. Is this butterfly narrative something that gripped you from a storytelling standpoint? And I mean,
3: you know, I'm more intrigued by the characters and where the characters are going than the actual invasion. But it's really well done. I got to say, another another guy that's been great is Vigilante. Mm. Um, he was just freaking hilarious, and and his delivery and the way he deadpans everything he's one of those characters though that i find him funnier when he's got his mask and costume on than when he has it off
2: <laughs> yeah freddy stroma's got some uh got some facial charisma to him he when he was just wearing the full body suit the first couple of weeks me and my friends were saying we didn't really care for the character and then someone someone turned once he took it off which i thought oh, really i was, cool. was the opposite i liked him with the costume Thanks i think too.
3: he's funnier with it
2: I, I don't know what it is maybe it's the glasses maybe when he wears the, the old school glasses there's a turn Uh, Matt before we wrap this up did you have any favorite jokes that John Cena delivered in the show so far
4: you know my favorite moments are the episodes we haven't covered Uh, the he was and I won't spoil anything, but he has a significant kind of soliloquy monologue, the last episode not today's episode, but last week's where he's just rattling off a sequence of things that's hilarious. And then there's a very poignant moment at the end of episode four, which I was just just blown away by, just completely. It had the song uh, House of Pain by Faster Pussycat in the background, and it was such a poignant, uh, poignant thing. As far as the butterfly plot, you know, uh, streaming changed everything, right? House of Cards changed everything, where you didn't have to, like, grab everybody by the throat in the first three episodes. You could tell this long-form story and not have to worry about getting canceled. And James Gunn obviously has an end goal in mind. And it's not so much about the butterflies as it is the layers of surprise leading to this thing, you know. And he's a master of it, obviously, uh, but it's got to end strong. You know, like I was just talking to a kid today about uh, Vision and Wanda. He said it didn't end strong, so he didn't like it. And so you got to end it strong. You can't You can't have this great show and have like a, you know, as Tony Shavani would say, a popcorn fart. You know, you got to... uh you got to finish strong,
2: yeah. As Vince uh, Vincenzo, Matt, says, you you got to crush the finish. Uh, go ahead, Raj,
3: <laughs> yeah. And as Matt was saying, uh, Danielle Brooke, she's she's fantastic on that show as well. Uh, Robert Patrick, seen as racist de- father in lo- you know,
4: father, uh, he is freaking scary. <laughs> what a career he's right had, there. you know. Uh, uh, Conrad and I often talk that our fate we we about Sopranos. And our favorite scene is when he played David Scatino. <laughs> and when, when uh, Tony Soprano goes, uh, get back in your cave, when he throws him back in the tent. It's the He's so good. We know him from Terminator 2. You know, as a kid, I saw this fearsome young guy in Terminator 2, and now I'm looking at this old guy. You know, so I think about you um, being 21 years old and seeing the entire length of, of Tom Brady's career. I think Robert Patrick may be my Tom Brady. <laughs> it's awesome. i love that i love that yeah
2: obviously the the role i know him from uh before this is terminator uh the t800 if i'm not mistaken he's just got the stoic face down he's so scary uh and he's fantastic in this show i think uh won't we'll, we won't we won't go into specifics where he's at now because obviously only the first three episodes but i feel like we've planted a lot of seeds for reasons why you should tune into the wrestling podcast a little, a little podcast. quick trivia here oh boy uh, Stellar Justin Lopez, another great comment. Thank you so much. The second time they've worked with each other, Robert Patrick was the villain in The Marine. Totally oh, about that.
0: <laughs> How
2: about that? How
4: could wow. we forget The Marine? Like, what is wrong with us? Like, <laughs> seriously, know. we don't belong on a podcast talking about any kind of pop culture if we don't have our Marine stuff down, guys.
2: The classic <laughs> Marine franchise that includes John Cena and The Miz and then Ted DiBiase at one point because I think Randy Orton... Summary two and I I think uh uh who are the ones they had a whole bunch of backup in one of the recent That's your, uh, It's your next step before you get fired, apparently, uh is to play a marine <laughs> and then you're out the door. I think Heath Slater was in it too, the more I think about it now. I think he was a goon in uh, one of the Marine movies. But anyways, that's your Thursday edition of the Wrestling Inc. podcast, talking everything from pro wrestling news to some football talk to some Peacemaker. We'll be back once again next week covering who knows. Maybe we'll do a little Super Bowl preview then. We'll get into some more Peacemaker and obviously more wrestling news as it comes out, I'm sure. Maybe we'll have some snowball momentum from stories that we covered here because some of the stuff we touched on, I don't think, that's the end of the story just yet. Before we get out of here, Raj, obviously your social media is down there, RajGiri underscore three hundred three. Do you have anything fun going on right now with Wrestling Inc. that you want to plug?
3: Oh, this is just the busy season, so keep checking out Wrestling Inc. And yeah, with this podcast, we're going to be doing a rotating, uh, uh, rotating thing of topics. You know, every for or for a while, we're going to try this out, see if you guys like it. So let us know whether you want us to cover Cobra Kai season four or. Uh, you know, we will definitely, you know, definitely do the Super Bowl next week. Um, anything else, any other ideas you have, you know, please shoot it to us. I'm in the middle of succession. I'd love to do that. So, you know, we'll we'll get into let us know all, any topics you want us to cover.
2: Yeah, we love HBO Max here on the Wrestling Inc. podcast. Matt Coon at just Matt Coon. You can see his social media right down there below. Anything fun you got going on in your just expansive world of everything you're doing. Feel free to shout it out.
4: Oh, it used to be that way. Now I'm doing nothing, and I love it. Just running my business. So follow me on Twitter for lukewarm uh, political wrestling and music takes. And uh, celebrate Black History Month by showing your kids some music they might not have heard before. Uh, Some Sam Cooke, some Scott Joplin, some Victor Wooten, some Stevie Wonder. Go ahead and do that, and that's all you got to do. You don't even have to follow me.
2: I love that, and for me, I'm at Liam T Crowley on all social media. If you want to check out stuff I'm doing for Wrestling Inc., hop on over to TikTok at Wrestling Inc. on TikTok. We post daily news updates, also some clips from the Wrestling Inc. Daily hosted by Nick Hausman. We had a great clip a couple of days ago with AJ Styles talking about maybe Cody Rhodes showing up in the Rumble. Obviously, it didn't happen, but still, the former Bullet Club Bullet Club leader weighed in on that. Weighed in on that, despite the fact that he denied he was the Bullet Club leader. Whole convoluted story there. you get the gist this has been the thursday edition of the wrestling inc podcast we'll be back again next week talking a whole bunch of stuff you can find this podcast though once again tomorrow on youtube where it always is covering friday night smackdown until then that's raj that's matt i've been liam have a good evening
0: this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working